Hello, welcome to our noontime webinar. I'm Dr. Jill Brooks, Senior Director of Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we're here to help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, a hospital network, a healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. Today's topic of HIPAA breaches is an example of a topic that we've received a lot of requests for. We're so pleased to have Mary Beth Gettens joining us today to present three HIPAA breaches that encryption failed to prevent. This webinar will identify common privacy and security risks, outline HIPAA requirements for information privacy and security, and enumerate best practices for information privacy and security. Mary Beth is the managing attorney for Gettens Law. Prior to attending law school, Mary Beth worked in the healthcare industry for almost a decade, providing direct care services to patients. Combining her legal experience with her healthcare experience, she focuses on helping providers, health plans, and business associates develop HIPAA privacy and security policies and procedures for their organizations. Mary Beth is a published author and has given presentations and talks on such topics as HIPAA, healthcare privacy and security in the high-tech era, HIPAA basics, HIPAA training for workforce members, disaster prevention for your business, and the intellectual intersection. She is a member of the American Bar Association, the American Health Lawyers Association, the Ohio Bar Association, and the Legacy Center and Boomer Authority. She has been a guest contributor on the New Dentist, Psychiatric Times, Dentist IQ, Referral MD Authority, the National Association of Independent Medical Practices, the ABA Section of Labor and Employment Law, and the Fair Labor Standards Act 2nd Edition 2014 Supplement. Before we begin this presentation, uh, we would like to offer a copy of her slides. We're having a little trouble getting them uploaded into the GoToWebinar at this time. We will try, that, try to do that during the presentation. Uh, your Paycom CEU certificates will be automatically e emailed to you within 24 hours. You do not need to request the certificates. Go ahead, Mary Beth. Welcome. Uh, thank you for that lovely introduction and welcome everyone um, to the noon day here. <clears throat> so a little bit of HIPAA this morning or this afternoon as we progress. Um, so but before we begin, uh, I'm sure everybody's pretty familiar with the Anthem uh, case. Um, that was one of the big headlines that came out and there was a lot of speak about that regarding uh, you know, encryption, could have it prevented it, should they have had it, and should I have it, and where does encryption need to be? Um, this slide is actually um, what ends up happening when you have, one of the things that ends up happening if you have a breach. Um, under the HIPAA laws, um, both federal and your local state ones too, uh, require you to give notice if there's a breach. Um, and if it involves more than 500 people, your obligation to report that and notify people and the public becomes very robust. Um, any breach has to, uh, individuals affected have to be notified. But once it hits 500, uh, the consequences are a little higher. And here's one of them. Um, this is actually a screenshot from the Anthem website. And it talks about um, the fact that if you've had a breach and how to handle it and that they've had one and how they're trying to mitigate it. So it is kind of embarrassing to have to put one of these tabs on your website, um, needless to say. And unfortunately, um, they aren't the only ones. So what is encryption? And could encryption have prevented this issue? Let's go through that a bit. But first, 
let's talk about what is a breach. And really, when we look at it, we're going to talk about what is a breach, what is protected, what is encryption, and then three security risks that encryption cannot prevent. Um, at the end of the day, everybody thinks that encryption is kind of a panacea. It's a cure-all for any type of healthcare security problem and for any kind of privacy security issues. And that's really not the easy button. It really isn't at the end of the day. And if you take nothing else away from this presentation, is to walk away with that thought. Encryption is a very important tool, but not the only tool that needs to be in place. So again, let's look at what is a breach. This is the definition that's taken from the HIPAA laws, and this is how it's defined. It's kind of enigmas. A breach is an improbable use or disclosure contrary to the privacy rule that compromises the security or privacy of protected health information. So when we talk about that, that is really broad sweeping. It is not just if we have a cyber crime, if we lose something. It's, it's not just about, and it doesn't talk that it has to be an actual loss or proof of loss for it to be a breach. Uh, when we look at the Anthem case, we talk, is there any evidence that somebody has an individual's information that shouldn't have it? No. And that's one of the things that their notice talks about is that they really have no evidence of where it went, who has it, and if it's being published or used improperly. All that they know is that somebody accessed their system and was, which affected the security. That goes to the security component and that the privacy of information stored on their computers, their systems, their backup drives was compromised. So that in itself is a breach. Just the possibility that the security protocols or the security levels that were in place were not sufficient and somebody may or did get in there. So that's kind of a scary concept. But the other thing is to know what is protected health information. Because at the end of the day, we historically, being in the healthcare field, have always looked at, well, we, we have to keep private, you know, what kind of treatment somebody has, what kind of diagnosis somebody has, um, that sort of thing, their medical history. But protected health information is actually very, very, very broad sweeping too. And it encompasses not just what you create, but it also is what you receive. So just a lot of times we're, we're working and we may create records or put information into charts that we have derived from our work. Um, but we also receive information from third parties, whether that's from a treating physician, whether that's um, from the person themselves. Maybe they self-disclose some information about you know, their medication history, their personal history, their whatever that is included, uh, it's information that's stored on your device. So it's not, so even if, let's say, perhaps you are a part of a system that, that shares a backup drive and it's on, your, it's on your system, or let's say that you join a network that has things, that has information on it, that again is protected and you have an obligation to keep that private and secure even though you didn't create it or you didn't receive it. The fact that it is within your possession is sufficient enough for you to have an obligation. 
And again, the other one is information communicated to you. And that includes not just orally and written, um, but maybe if somebody mails something to you, somebody faxes something to you, texts something to you. Um, any way that it is communicated to you, once it comes in your possession, you have touch, you have knowledge of it, you have a duty to protect it. So when we look at um, what is encryption, encryption, and I, this is a kind of a, a fun cartoon, um, but encryption is kind of like pig Latin because what it does is it renders the information um, indiscernible from the naked eye. Uh, so it changes its form into unrecognizable means. Now there's, there's lots of different ways to do that. Uh, when we look at what's encryption and if the information is encrypted, the important thing to know is that if encryption, encrypted information is stolen, lost, um, accessed, breached, it's not a HIPAA breach because the naked eye can't see it. It's kind of like being in Piglet. The reader does not, cannot read what is what the information says. So the privacy is maintained. That's what the key is about encryption, and that is what is so nice about encryption. So let's say that I have a cell phone um, that I have access email on it that has patient information. It's but it, the whole device is encrypted. And, it, and I lose it. Okay, well, I have to buy a new cell phone, but I don't have a HIPAA breach. That's the beauty of encryption. Encryption is a lovely thing. Um, but when we talk about encryption, we have to be careful of what is encrypted. A lot of times, we'll look at different software options that'll say they're encrypted. But once, and it'll maintain that encryption within that software. But if the information steps outside of the software, let's say I email it, let's say I upload into another program, whatever, it loses encryption. So when we look at encryption, we talk about what is encrypted, is it where it's stored encrypted, is, and really the end of the day, the best solution is a whole device encryption or a whole system encryption. Um, because having one software encryption does not protect your device if the information is extracted from that software. But, but encryption is a lovely thing because, like I say, if it's stolen, lost, um, individuals penetrate that the, where it's stored and it's encrypted unreadable by the naked eye, then it's not a breach. Now, encryption, they do have protocols for that. So when you say it's encrypted, you want to make sure that the encryption that you're using um, follows the recognized acceptable types. As I talk along, I am a fast talker. I do realize that. And sometimes, you know, I get carried away and start um, tackling a lot of big issues. If you have questions, um, go ahead and, and, and ping the questions as we go along. A lot of times it helps me to slow down a bit or recognize it. It provides a little diversity. So the first breach that I want to talk about now that we've talked about what is a breach, what is protected, um, is we want to talk about what kinds of things encryption doesn't do. And the first one that we're going to look at is called phishing. And here again is a cartoon that kind of plays off the word phishing. It's, um, phishing comes in many, many different forms. It's not just 
we think of phishing as maybe an email or as um, a phone call. It can come in any form. But phishing is where somebody pretends to be someone else, adopts uh, of like a business, and tries to extract information from you. This is thought to be one of the of uh, the catalyst of what caused Anthem. There's really no way at the end of the day of knowing how the breach occurred, but there is talk that um, it was they were a victim of phishing. So, and it, and the thing is with phishing, the interesting thing to realize is that we're all susceptible to it. They thought the phishing um, attempt was actually via um, IT persons there at Anthem. So we say, oh, you know, this, you know, I'm smarter, and no one's going to be able to get information from me. Well, at the end of the day, if you know, a wrongdoer was able to use the phishing attempt to gain access from IT professionals at Anthem, maybe we're all not as smart as they are. So it's really something to keep in mind. Um, this is an example, and, 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 and phishing happens not just in the healthcare realm. It happens in all industries and in all places. Uh, one of the most common ones that we've seen historically has been through the Amazon. And, and the important thing to pull this one out is because um, it, it shows some common characteristics. One thing about Amazon, pretty much everybody has an Amazon account. I have an Amazon account. You probably do too. So when you get a notice from Amazon, it's from a company you recognize, and so and that's a technique that 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 phishing employs. It adopts uh, organizational name that is recognized, and that it probably the person is associated with, because again, these are kind of blind, you know. So Amazon will be common victim to this, and it can go to the third party consumer. But when we actually look a little closer in the, um, this was an email. In the email itself, we can see that there's misspellings. I don't know why fishers can't spell, but they can't a lot of times. It's not a foregone conclusion because I have spelling problems too, but it is an indicator that, hey, if I give, get an um, email from Amazon, there's misspellings. The other common thing is if there's links and things to click on, it raises um, warning flags to you. It's trying to, to feed into your alarmist nature to say, there's a problem with your account. Please try um, information to us. Uh, so when you get these, even from companies that you know, you, you they got to watch out. And this is what, and you may get calls because Amazon um, kind of put this out and said that we're getting notified that customers are getting these emails. Be wary. So if you hear, you know, your clients or somebody in the industry saying, "Hey, I'm getting a lot. I got an email from so and so, and I don't, I don't get this." Go ahead and 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 be proactive and let folks know that you know, put a notice on the website, um, you know, let people know as they come into the office, that sort of thing. That you know, um, we've had calls that people are using our name, um, and if you get an email from us. Please confirm before giving any identifiable information away. So that's one thing you can do, but also recognizing it. So what do you do if you get this, and what do you tell people to do if they get um, something that they're worried about? Number one is be very on the alert for these types of things. 
And then number two is to not click on the links. Don't click on the links. Um, you know, and, and experts are even going a lot further in saying, if you get a phishing attempt that's, that's via email or something like that, um, go ahead and delete it. Don't open it if you know it is. Um, we do get a lot of times where people will kind of hijack your um, email accounts and things. So you may get one from friends and things like that. Um, that where their account has been hijacked, a lot of the personal um, hotmails and yahoos and stuff get hijacked. So if you have a suspect email, don't open it. Call the the uh, supposed author and say, "Hey, I got email. Am I okay to open this?" And and that sort of thing. Um, delete it. Don't even save it on your computer. Um, the issue with a lot of these is um, they may try to get information directly when you click on the link, but they may also be, once you click on the link, that link could be embedded with malware, um, viruses and stuff that will contaminate your computer. And we'll talk about that a little later. But, so the, the risk here is recognizing it, don't click on links, call to verify, don't give any information and via the direct communication. And as we talked about, phishing doesn't come in just email form. It can come in many forms. This um, cartoon actually comes from a personal experience. Uh, I was sitting in my office one day working away, and I get a call, and, and the um, caller says, hi, you know, I, I'm from Microsoft, Microsoft Office, and we've noticed some unusual activity on your computer. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I mean, like, why would, how would Microsoft know, number one, that there's unusual activity on my computer, and I'm not really acting very uh, unusual because uh, I'm working, and that's what I do. Uh, and I thought, well, how would they know about me? You know, in particular, all the world that uses Microsoft this is just really odd. And the guy was quite pleasant. You know, he even um, started the you know, introduced himself, and then began to talk about the weather. He was actually from Texas. Um, and it, it kind of trying to gain a little bit of rapport. So what he did, he's again, he's trying to fish. He um, uses a reputable a company I know. I use their software. He's friendly and very, you know, engaging. And then after we've connected a little bit, he's at, he asked me for some information. I'm like, you know, what's your password and that sort of thing. And I and I said to him, I said, hey, you know, I'm I'm not cool with this. I'll um let me check into it a bit and I'll give you a ring back. And so I hung up. Well, I thought this is really interesting. So I actually redialed the number to call, and the number rang and rang and rang and rang. So with that kind of experience, I was like, "Gosh, I bet you know that's a that's a phishing attempt." So even when you think about it, whether it's email, whether it's a voice call, and we've even seen them in the mail where they've suggested go to this website or go to this link, you know. Um, so it comes in whatever media you get it. Um, that is an attempt. And, and how does it get around encryption? Because at the end of the day, they're soliciting information from me about how to access accounts or my system. And they can use that to, again, get in to my system, my computer. So uh, even if it was encrypted, if once they secure your password, your user ID, um, they can act like you. They can go into the same places you can. And encryption won't prevent that. Spoofing is another one that's kind of a vintage of um, phishing. Uh, it's kind of an offshoot. And this has been really kind of something that um, even we've had um, warnings from governmental warnings uh, saying, hey, watch out for this. We've noticed a surge in this. Uh, 
spoofing is a little bit different than phishing in the fact that it doesn't. It becomes more personal. It doesn't take the Amazons and the Microsoft um, Office uh, name. What it does is it actually uses public information to find somebody that you know and then sends you an email pretending to be them to ask for information. So, for example, they would go on to Facebook or um, LinkedIn or even your company website and they find out the name of your coworker, your supervisor, your um, somebody that's connected, or even your customer. And they would then, you know, and it's fairly easy to um, get email accounts. They create an email account or, uh, you know, um, and then send you something asking for information. Um, as you notice, a lot of these are really based on trying to get financial information, getting your money. But at the end of the day, you know, there's also attempts that want to have health information about the person, not just protected health information. So really, even if you see this um, come out, and this is, 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 like I say, a lot of money connected, if there's a request to send money, a request for validation for account numbers or anything like that that's concerned with financial stuff, um, be, be weary. Um, what do they say to do? They say, okay, um, verify the sender if it's out of turn. Um, number two is to start a new email chain, verify the original communication, and then if you opt to send it that way, use a different medium that's more secure, whether that's you know calling up on the phone and saying, hey, I got an email from you requesting our account number. Let me go ahead and give that to you. Um, so if you change the medium up, again, if you think it's a threat, don't do it. They've gone as far as to suggest that um, you really limit um, what kind of information you put on social media on your website about your staff and employees. And I know this is kind of a fine line to kind of run because when we try to reach out to customers or connect with people personally, it's nice to be able to use names and tell us a little bit about each other because we see human but you want to balance it. So if it's not something, a name that somebody needs to know as a direct line can contact, maybe try to not put so many people on there and then just being on the lookout again. But again, just like phishing, um, once they, you give them the information, they don't need to hack into your system to get at it and they can go into your system to be you. Okay, and so we talked a lot about um, how uh, when you look at um, you know, security systems and phishing, they try to get, you, you know, into your system, be 10 into UBU, and even if it's encrypted, they can't get there. One of the other things is, um, how is encryption undone? Well, it's passcodes. It's passwords, okay? So once you have your password, your passcode is what makes the information that's stored in an encrypted sense become unencrypted and readable. So passwords are very, very important when you look at, at safeguarding information. And what we've seen is that people don't recognize that. And even if something's encrypted, if the wrongdoers get a hold of your password, then they can get in. I don't care if it's encrypted or not, and you'll have a breach. Um, this case actually comes from um, an event where uh, a thief broke into an employee's home who had taken a laptop home from work. And the laptop was encrypted. Good news, right? We're, we're safe, we're safe. No, 
the problem became is that uh, she had written her passcode down and put it in her briefcase with her laptop. Well, it doesn't really work to, it's like locking the door and leaving your key in the door and thinking you can go to bed and no one's going to break into your house. Well, no. They, if they have the key, they can get in. Um, same with the virtual world. So, and it kind of brings to, to part, not only is it don't put it in your briefcase, um, like the lady in the back, but don't pin it to your, you know, um, your uh, monitor, um, you know, put it in a safe place. You know, if you've got a good memory, don't even write it down. Um, but realize that all those, those safeguards that you're doing to protect the information, if the wrongdoers get a hold of your password, then they're for naught and you'll have a breach. And it'll look, you know, kind of say, well, I, uh, you know, my laptop was encrypted, but I left my password in there. They're going to look like, um, yeah, not so smart. So when we talk also about safeguards, because they can do some hacking and different things, passwords are very, very important, or passcodes are very important. And here's some um, different ideas of how you can um, make passwords safe, strong passwords. Um, not only put them in a safe place, but you want to create ones that have eight characters or more and they include numbers and letters. A lot of times when we look at like our banking information or other really sensitive information, they um, they don't allow you to do um, really simple words. And you, uh, also look at what the kind of words that you're doing. Um, you don't want something that's that's part of your name, um, part of the organization. You want something that people want, just frivolous, something off, off the wall. Like, uh, you know, a lot of times when I have to create a new password, I'll just close my eyes and open my eyes, and the first thing I think of, first thing I see, I make it part of the password. Um, there's actually a list of the um, most common um, hacked into passwords, and they're really dumbfounding. Um, as part of my workforce training, I always pass it out because it's kind of like it makes everybody think about, oh, maybe that wasn't so original. Like, I use the word monkey. I don't know why when I closed my eyes one time and I opened them up, I thought of a monkey, but I did. It was on the list. It was on the list. So when we think about this, it, you know, uh, be even more frivolous than a monkey <laughs> when you do it. Um, change them every 90 days. And, and I know I get a lot of pushback when I do these trainings about people saying, we're doing giant days. Well, they say, I have a password. My son, I have a password. My computer, I have a password to get into this and that and this. And if I change my passcode every 90 days on these things, it's problematic. You can spend all morning doing it. So one of the things I say to folks is, hey, look at, um, you know, the risk factor and, and what, you know, how it's a balancing act between the inconveniences that we face and having to change them and the, the need for security. If, if, if it's got really important information on it, it's got patient information on it, to do it, got to do it. Um, the other thing is secondary passcodes for remote information access. And, and really, they're going further than that even now. Um, a lot of this talk, again, going back to Anthem was, well, even if, um, they, uh, you know, there was a phishing attempt, and, 
and um, it, the information that they accessed was not encrypted. But if it was encrypted, they that's still bad on them because there should have been two-factor authentication. Um, so what does two-factor authentication mean? Um, one is we all have a user ID. That's not counted as an authentication. The second one is our password or passcode. But then the third one is another issue. Now the third one typically is it goes an ID, um, something you create, and then something you have your own. A lot of times, like if you um, go, you're going to change your password on Apple iPhones. Ever, a lot of people have iPhones, and you know this. When you have your Apple Pay and you want to change the credit card on there, they'll say, "What's your what's what's your username? What's your password? And can we send you a code to your phone?" And they send a code to the phone, and then you then it, then it will change it or if you want to change your password. That's two-factor authentication because we've had the, the ID, the one we create, and then we've sent one to the phone, something we have. So it really, when you look at the layers, that's another thing we should be implementing more often. So when we make changes or do um, high-level stuff, um, get into high-level information or that sort, or try to sort, is using that two-factor authentication. And then also, you know, doing the, the, the um, after three failed in attempts, you know, then you have a, a break for a period, and then after X amount of attempts, then, the, you know, your device is wiped or you lose access altogether. So those are kind of different protocols and passwords that you can kind of create a very robust, um, titrated, depending on how you're trying to secure information. And we talked a little bit about, um, in, in our first example about phishing, how, um, how security threats, um, phishing can open us up to malware and viruses. And when we look at malware and viruses, that's, and, and again, they, just like phishing, they come in many attempts. They can um, be through email. This was a cartoon based on a, an email where an employee um, opened an email that had a malware. and. Yeah, it exposed the whole system. When you have a malware or virus um, and you uh, yourself contract, it's kind of like a cold. It, a virus is a good name for it because it spreads throughout the office and it, uh, it spreads throughout the, the computer system as a whole. Um, so, it, you know, and it can, and it can be in emails. It can be in pictures even. They, they, the, the latest thing is for them to embed them and images on the web. So once you download them, not only do you, do you get the image itself, but you're also getting the malware. And malware is any software that you did not um, maliciously want to uh, upload into your computer, your computer system, which affects its functionality, it affects the integrity of the information stored on it, or compromises it to other third parties. And just like when we have a virus, we're susceptible to becoming, you know, picking up other things, um, secondary colds or flus or pneumonia or things. And viruses and malware do the same thing. Uh, one thing I would do step back, what is the difference between malware and viruses? Um, malware and viruses are kind of like um, fruit is the apple. A virus is a type of malware. There's lots of different um, malwares out here. This is a Trojan. And that's a, just a vintage. It's kind of like an apple when we talk about the fruit category. Um, but again, it's email, 
it can be in um, software you download, it can be in music, it can be in any, any kind of media that's electronic-based, it can be in. So again, malware is any unwanted software installed without your consent. So a lot of times you don't even know it happened, but it's happening. Um, and what do they do? Uh, where are they at? They are in pop-up windows. They are in email messages, they're in pictures, they're in anything electronic. Anytime you click on anything, touch anything, um, it can have a malware. So you kind of need to be kind of jittery when you're on your computer a bit. Uh, and it can render your computer um, non-functional. It allows hacker uh, access to your information. So it's really important. These are examples of pop-up windows that you see very commonly, and they use the same kind of techniques that you see in phishing, where you know they may use the same color schemas, um, the same kind of thing, adopting um, re well-recognized Microsoft again. So those kinds of things, when they pop up, and what do you do on them? You just want to click out of. A lot of times, you might even want to just click out of the browser itself completely. So at the very least, don't click on it and hit the X. So malware is really a predominant one. It's, it's kind of a long history. It's been there since that's what the first warning signs were. Everybody watched for viruses, and we install anti-malware software on our computers. And uh, it should be not only on our computers. It could be on our systems. It should be on our cell phones. Anything that um, that's electronic should have those kind of protections on it. Even in the newest Microsoft kind of has it built in. So, um, and the thing with that is, is make sure you update it because those updates, they may be like upgrades where they do different functions and better things, but they also may have patches that help to protect against the latest uh, malware attempts and viruses. So not only get it installed on your computers, but also make sure to update it and make sure to do safe practices when you use your system. Okay, and here's the third. Here is the third kind of security threat, and this is low-tech, real low-tech. We've talked a lot about computers. We've talked about cyber um, space and cyber threats, but this one is the low-tech one, and it keeps happening. It has happened for a decade. This one, is, this cartoon, is based on a um, case that involved a computer, a, uh, a copier. The copier was a leased copier, and at the end of its lease life, um, they were returning the copier to the copier company, and they didn't erase it. They say, erase my copier? Who erases a copier? It, it prints documents. Well, that's the whole beauty of this thing. Uh, even copiers, any devices are smart. They say, well, I have a smartphone. Well, what does the smart part of it mean? It means it has a memory. So really, anything that plugs into the wall pretty much may have a memory, or probably does have a memory. So copiers, printers, faxes, uh, cell phones, I know they don't plug in the wall, but when you charge them, you plug them into something that plugs into the wall. So um, even those are electronics, and they have a memory. So when we talk about the disposal of items, we have to be really cautious because we want to make sure they're wiped. Um, what happened, terrible, terrible story, 
the printer was actually from an insurance um, provider, a uh, health plan, and when they returned it to the leasing company, um, somebody got wind of the fact that it wasn't white, and the Evening News actually bought the printer from the leasing company and then had a nice Evening News expose about it. So obviously that raised the red flags, and there were violations and whatnot that along along with that. So not only did they become the subject of the Evening News, people lost their information, but there was terrible damage. So just remember, if it plugs into the wall, it probably has a memory, and you need to wipe it for it to dispose it. And this is even more low-tech. Even more, more low-tech is throwing things in the dumpster. And uh, we've had these cases, um, the Rite Aid cases, where they were throwing prescription bottles away. Well, that happened, wow, years and years ago. But there was recent cases where they're still throwing things in the garbage can. No matter what it is, if it has patient information on it, their name, um, description number, um, their, you know, um, don't throw it away. Make sure it's shredded. Make sure it's disposed of properly. Um, this case um, that this one was inspired on was a was a healthcare provider that was actually um, throwing things in the garbage. They were pieces yellow, pink. I think they were pink, pink pieces of paper that were thrown in the dumpster. And I was like, what could that be? I mean, everything's so electronic. We're so paperless. And I'm thinking, okay, the last time I went to the doctor and you go out to some, some facilities, you still take that slip up to the front desk and schedule your next appointment. Ten to one. That's probably what it was. So when we think about it, maybe it's, it's those post-it notes we write information on. Maybe it's a follow-up information. Maybe it's a printout that comes. Whatever it is, if it has patient information on it, make sure you dispose of it, whether it's paper, whether it's medicine bottles, anything, everything. There was a, also another recent case um, where they were moving offices. Okay, they were moving offices, and they were trying to. Of course, when if, if you have, if haven't moved in a long time, and I can remember moving offices, and it was such a headache. You have so much stuff, and you're trying to throw some things away take, that you don't need anymore, and take some things with you that you do need, whatever. And the problem became is that they threw some things away that should have been thrown away because they didn't need them anywhere. They were paper copies of, of patient information, but they shouldn't have been thrown in the dumpster. So be careful about what you throw away. That is, again, um, a lot of these times, you know, not everything is going to encrypt. Not everything that you have is, is um, we still have paper out there. We still have stuff with people's names on it, and you want to be very, very cautious that when you dispose of it, you dispose of it properly because it can lead to a real um, big issue with that. So at the end of the day, there's so much to remember. Um, it's, it's just, and like I say, whether you pin stuff on your shirt or write it on your hand to try to remember it, there's so many safeguards. And um, encryption is just, is just one piece of the pie. It's a very instrumental piece. But there's many things you can do, even as simple as turning off your computer or logging off at the end of the day, because that prevents hackers from getting in, um, getting fax confirmations, um, so that you know that you validate where the information was sent and who it should have been sent to. There's been a plethora of um, uh, small breaches, little tiny ones, where people are faxing to the wrong places and things. And if you can validate where it was sent and that sort of thing, or you 
um, somebody didn't get it, you need to follow up on it, it helps that with that little bit of paper trail. Um, and then, of course, maintaining computer settings and things like that. There's been incidents where people have gone and changed the computer settings where things were marked private and had layers of security and firewalls. And when, when somebody went in there and tinkered and dropped all those, information actually becomes public on, uh, on the Internet. So it, it's very problematic. Um, one of the biggest things is just you know um, doing trainings for your employees and staff so they're well aware of these things. They're equipped to know what to watch for. They're mindful of what to do. Sending reminders, um, you know, like like find little pop-up messages or little um, post-its or something like that, or um, email blasts or whatever that helps people keep um, privacy and security on the forefront of their mind. Um, those are all required. Doing trainings and reminders are actually required by the HIPAA rule, and doing different things to safeguard. The HIPAA rule doesn't say you have to do X, Y, and Z. It says you have to safeguard information. There are um, different things that, like for example, says you have to let your encrypt it, and if you don't um, encrypt encrypt something, then you have to um, also um, have a reason why or an alternative. So. Gosh, I'm going to need a good glass of water after that. Again, um, really into the question um, period here. So if there's a question that and all that stuff I talked about, or if somebody likes to have a share moment, um, I kind of open it up the last few minutes. Thank you, Mary Beth. I'm just checking to see if there are any questions right now. Uh, in the meantime, if you open up the chat box, there is a link for you to download the handout. Again, I apologize that wasn't available at the beginning of the presentation. Um, and her contact information is also there on the screen if you need to directly email her with questions. Uh, I don't know, Mary Beth, if you wanted to uh, comment on what you have found to be some of the more common situations in the healthcare setting. You obviously gave great examples through your presentation, and I really enjoyed the cartoons, um, about what are the more, the more common uh, HIPAA breach situations that you found in your uh, healthcare clients. Well, I, I think um, a couple of the, the big factors that I, I think, uh, risk factors that I see most often is um, sharing. Uh, passwords. If, if you work at an office where you're all congruently sharing the same user ID and password, bad thing, bad thing. That, that really actually is not okay under the rules. So we see that. Um, the other thing is that relying on encrypted software as, and, and thinking it's a protection of the system. So if I have a client management software that, that, you, that has encryption, I think safe at the end of the day. But the problem became just like in the Anthem cases where people move this stuff to, to backup drives or cell phones or other environments that aren't encrypted and that's a problem. Most, uh, in more plentiful numbers, states are requiring end-use um, encryption of devices. So what that means is that it, uh, all end-use devices must be encrypted, whole, whole device encryption, so cell phones must be encrypted at the end of the day. <laughs> Laptops, computers, tablets must be encrypted. So if I were to pick, I, let me see if I can think of the uh, top third. Um, 
the oopses, the the one off, you know. And the problem with the one off is when somebody does, you know, sends the email to the wrong person or the fax to the wrong person or the or mails the information. There was a whole case on mailing to the wrong one. Um, those become so. It's just, I mean, we're human, um, but is kind of watching it have safeguards in place, um, trying to have that the human check and requirement, I would say that would be the other big one. Excellent. And do you have any comments on um, the use of social media um, in the healthcare office, you know, um, in terms of policies and procedures, you know, for the employees? Um, that is a real hot button item because it's kind of a key um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, social media is a real um, hot button item for the NRLB, National Labor Relations Board, which says that employees have a right to use social media to talk about their work conditions. So that means that people are allowed to talk about things at work. But then HIPAA says we have to keep things private. So the key there is um, developing policies, procedures, practices, disciplinary actions, um, recognizing an employee's right to be able to talk about work conditions, but yet protect people's private information. Uh, and there's been countless like issues where they say, why well, didn't use their name? Well, if you, if you did everything but call her Jane, it doesn't matter. Um, so, and I, and as part of my uh, workforce training, I always go through that and just say, you know, just don't get specific about client interface, you know, say, rough, rough day with patients today. That's okay, because we, that means a, a group of them are unidentifiable. We can say, I had this one lady who came in and blah, 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 but we had the most wonderful experience with this patient because um, she's made such progress. Even if it's good stuff, people don't want good, even stuff shared about themselves. So keep it top level, but do recognize that um, Carter Blanc um, mandates about employee social media is an issue. Okay, and we have one question um, from um, can, 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 can you repeat the question for me? Sorry. Uh, what about uh, security of messaging systems like Link or Skype for transmitting PHR? So if you find out that someone's transmitting PHI improperly, is that the question? Via Skype. I guess the use of Skype. Oh. Okay, and so when we talk about uh, a PHI, uh, it's it's any kind of media. So even face to face, that is, yeah, that can be. Now, does that mean that we can't do Skype? No, we can do Skype. We just have to have the safety pro protocols in place. Um, so you have to look at the the the, the methods that you're using and see if it has the safeguards required. Um, so, in, in, and even like when you're over, you're doing Skype or you're doing a teleconference like this, um, you know, we're transmitting information across the wire and we need to make sure that's a secure transmission. We all use passwords and, and, and codes to get in, so that, that helps. 
that that's one of the things you need to look at. Um, you want to look at is um, so that they have to log on specific to them and it's, it's isolated. Um, you have to look at um, is it stored by the provider because the other thing is too is if you're uh, if it's stored by them then they become business associate. If it's transmitted it's not. Okay, because they're kind of like the mailman. The mailman's not a business associate. But if they store it, that's an issue. Yeah, if, if, if it's going through, you have to use reasonable safeguards. You want, you know, passwords and stuff like that that they're using um, so you, to secure wireless connections um, and things like that to do it. Uh, public Wi-Fi, bad thing, bad thing. Don't be using public Wi-Fi because it doesn't have the safeguards in place. They talk about SSL and things like that. You want to make sure that you have those kinds of things going on. So, um, you know, I've never specifically looked at Skype to say, is it safe? But I would look at the Skype um, information, how they use Skype, how it's transmitted, and how you're configuring your engagement and make sure that it meets all those safeguards just like you are communicating written information. Great. Thank you so much. I think that does conclude the questions. Uh, again, please use the contact information on the screen to email questions, uh, or you can send them to us, and we'll forward them on to Mary Beth. Um, your Paycom CU certificates will be automatically emailed to you within 24 hours. Our next webinar is on October 5th, next Wednesday. It is on MACRA, Quality Payment Program, and MIPS. And uh, we've received a lot of requests for this topic. Uh, and this has also been CME approved for next week. So please um, register for that webinar on our website at 1sthcc.com, or you can call us at 888-543-4778 uh, for the registration or to request a demo of our comprehensive compliance management solution. Thank you again, Mary Beth. And everybody have a nice day. Thank you.